Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, once again, we're doing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show, first heard on June the 19th, back in 2017. And as always, we hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Chester. I'm ready whenever you are, Mr. Dillon. All right, let's go. Hi, kids. Come on in. Boy, you you guys look a little warm. A little warm out there, is it? Well, come on in. It's cool in here. We have some uh, soft drinks over there, some cold water, some iced tea. Have a seat. Make yourself at home. This is Boomer Boulevard. Welcome, everybody. This is Bob Bro, and I'm going to be your host for the next two hours for a cruise down Boomer Boulevard, which is memory lane for the baby boom generation. Well, here's where we play old-time radio shows that we actually remember from when we were kids. Now, some of them we might remember from television, but they originated on radio, and the radio productions, in my opinion, in most cases were far superior than the TV productions. We listen to shows like, well, like tonight, for instance. We have an episode of Dragnet. It was originally broadcast in 1953. Very good. We have an episode of The Jack Benny Show. We all remember listening or watching The Jack Benny Show. This one was all the way back to 1947. And then we're going to finish things up on the streets of Dodge City, Kansas, with an episode of Gunsmoke. And I know you all remember Gunsmoke. And uh, this one was also originally broadcast in 1953. All three of them are in really good quality sound. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy them. So why don't you come in, pull up a seat... Make yourselves comfortable, because we're going to get started in just a moment.
Boy, that music's great, isn't it? That's Ray Anthony and the orchestra. Man, jazzing up Dragnet. What do you think? Well, we have a good episode of Dragnet to kick things off tonight. It was originally broadcast on NBC in March, on March the 2nd in 1953. And in this one, Vic Perrin plays the informant. And this one features, of course, Jack Webb as Joe Friday, and Frank Smith is played by Ben Alexander. And as you listen to this one tonight, ask yourself, could the police today get away with all of the things that uh, Friday and Frank Smith got away with in this episode? Now, I'm a big supporter of law enforcement. Don't get me wrong. You know, I've never been in any kind of trouble with the law, and I respect people that are in law enforcement very much. But some questions come up as you listen to this, and maybe we'll talk about it on the other side. So here we go from 1953, The Big Informant on Dragnet. to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to burglary detail. For the past two months, a gang of safe burglars have been operating in your city. In that time, they've hit a dozen places. You've got no lead to their identity. Your job? Get them. The documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, August 10th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of burglary detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Wisdom. My name's Friday. We were on the way back from lunch, and it was 1.17 p.m. when we got to room 45. Burglary. Joe, you got any stomach pills? No, I haven't. You got trouble again? Yeah. I don't know why I always do when we have lunch at Sal's. Must be that cheesecake, Joe. It happens every time. Well, maybe if you just stick to one piece, huh? Well, the way Rosie makes it, you can't stop there. You know, that Sal could make a fortune if he'd realize it. What do you mean? Well, you know how in some places they have a little bowl of mints by the cash register? Yeah. Well, if Sal had put a bowl of stomach pills, he could clean up. Yeah, sure. Anything in the book? I'll take a look. How about it? Yeah. There's a call here from Ernie. Our informant? Yeah. Says he wants to see us this afternoon. Say what it's about? No, it just has to meet him at that coffee place over on 7. Sure hope he can come up with something we could use it. Yeah. We've taken a lot on this one, haven't we? Yeah. The way the papers talk, you'd think we were in with the thieves. Now, from where they sit, it probably looks that way. We sure haven't been able to stop them. Yeah. You hear anything more on that last run from the stats office? Yeah, nothing. They've run the M.O. over and over. We can't make it. I saw the skipper this morning. He's sore, too. Yeah, figures they're leaning on him, too. Well, there's got to be a break somewhere along the line. Their luck can't hold out forever. Maybe they don't know that. Did you check the F.I. cards from last night? Yeah, they're doing it now. They might come up with something. 
How about Rubles and Toll? You heard from them yet? No, they're running down that report from the liquor store owner. Doesn't look like it's going anywhere either. I'll get it. All right. Burgoy Smith. Oh, yeah. Did you find anything? Uh-huh. Where was that? Uh-huh. How do you spell that last name? S-O-N? Right. Okay, thanks. Well, I might have something. Yeah? Officer made a field interrogation report on an auto Bronson last night. Time was listed as 10.46 p.m., 4th and Central. Well, that's close. The last heist was at 7th and Central at approximately 11 p.m. Well, how's this Bronson fit in? Well, they checked him out. He's got a record. Yeah. Burglary. 1.35 p.m. Frank and I checked the name Otto Bronson through R&I. We found that he had an arrest record dating back 10 years. He'd been picked up three times on suspicion of violation of Section 459 P.C. He'd been convicted once and had served time at San Quentin. He'd been released four months before he served his full term and was not on parole. We got his last known address from his ex-convict registration and we drove out to see him. The address listed was a rooming house on Alexandria Street. We talked to the landlady, but she could tell us nothing about him. She said that he'd moved in about four months before, and in that time she'd seen very little of him. He didn't eat at the house, but he took his meals outside. She was unable to tell us what time Bronson had come home the night before. He was registered in room 2B. Frank and I went up and knocked on the door. Yeah? You out of Bronson? Yeah, what about it? Police officers, we'd like to talk to you. Okay, go ahead. Might be better if we talked inside, huh? Well, maybe I don't want any cops in my place. Well, we can talk downtown. Come on in. All right, what's it all about? I wonder if you could tell us where you were last night. Why? We'd like to know. Well, let's see. I went downtown, had dinner, met some friends, had a few drinks, and came home. What time did you get home? Oh, maybe about 8, around in there. We got word you were seen downtown at 1046. How about it? Maybe my watch stopped. Were you downtown? Oh, you guys know all the answers. You tell me. All right, mister, get your hat. Why? Let's go downtown. All right, all right. So I was there. What's that prove? Why'd you lie about it? I didn't lie. I told you. My watch stopped. Yeah, according to the FI report, you were stopped in the corner of 4th and Central. Is that right? I don't know. I guess so. Why? What were you doing there? I was on my way home. From where? Like I told you, I had a couple of drinks with some friends of mine. I came right home. Mm-hmm. Where'd you meet these friends of yours? Bar down in Central. Which bar? I don't know the address. I can show you if you gotta know. Who were the friends? Look, I, I don't like any of this. You guys coming here and asking all these questions? What's it all about? The liquor store safe was burglarized near 7th and Central last night. You look good for the job. Oh, it's sure true. What's that? Old saying up at the joint. Do a little time and you'll have every cop in the world on your back at one time or another. How long you lived here, Bronson? A couple of months. That's the closet over here. Uh, you stay away from there. There isn't anything in there that matters to you. Well, then you shouldn't mind if we take a look. Now, just keep your hands off of my stuff, huh? If you haven't done anything, you got nothing to worry about, have you? It isn't what I've done. It's what you guys are going to say I did. How about this, Bronson? That's mine. Hey, now, look. you got no right to go... See what's in it, Frank. Yeah. How about this, Bronson? I never saw those before in my life. It's a frame you guys are trying to tie on to me. Well, it won't work, cops, and you know it won't. How do you explain these two? I don't have to. They belong to a friend. He asked me to take care of them. How about this, Bronson? Can't see, Joe. What is it? Cutting torch. Looks like it's been used lately. 2.15 p.m. We searched the suspect's room. We found nothing further that would tie him in with the burglaries. We talked to the other people in the boarding house, but they couldn't give us any further information. They were unable to tell us if Bronson had any friends, and the landlady told us that he hadn't gotten any mail since he'd been there. We called the office and arranged for a stakeout on the boarding house, and then we took the suspect downtown to the city hall. We talked to him for an hour, 4.16 p.m. That's where you stand on this thing, Bronson. Now you make up your mind. 
You want to take the beef by yourself? You're going to tell us where you got the tools. I've been telling you. I didn't know anything about the tools. I got them from a friend. He asked me to keep the suitcase for him as a favor. He asked me to keep them for him, and that's all I know. Well, what's the friend's name? Like I told you, it's a fellow named Shorty. What's his last name? I don't know. If I knew, I'd tell you. I got no reason to hold back on it. I didn't have nothing to do with the jobs. Otto, we were talking to you about one burglary. What do you mean by jobs? Well... Just the way you guys talk, I figured there was more than one. You know what we're talking about. I don't. I'm telling you the truth. I don't. When would you last see this shorty? When he gave me the suitcase. When was that? A week, maybe ten days ago. Where'd you see him? In a bar down on 7th. And he just gave you the suitcase, asked you to take care of it for him? Is that what you expect us to believe? That's the truth. Well, that's kind of hard well, to buy. I can't help that. That's the way it happened. Well, your friend sure left you in a good fix, didn't he? What do you mean? Well, it looks like you're going to have to go this route by yourself. How do you figure that? You got the tools, you got a record. You were in the vicinity just before the safe was burned. You look real good for it. Well, I ain't going to take it alone. Well, you haven't got much choice. Well, what happens if I help you get the rest of them? It'll be marked down that way. Is that all you can do? That's all. Mm, how much if I help you break the gang? That's all we can do. Well, one thing you got to understand. What's that? I had nothing to do with the jobs myself. I, I just heard a few rumbles. You got to know I wasn't in on it. What have you heard? Well, there's three guys. They're from the east. They've been working out here about oh, six weeks. Real heavy fellas. Who are they? I don't know him. The only one I ever saw was Shorty, and I'm not too sure he's in on it. You know where we can pick him up? No, like I said, I, I just heard a few rumbles. All right, how about this Shorty? Has he got a record? I don't know. He might have. You ever say anything about doing time? Mm, no, not so I can hear. How long you known him? About three months. I met him right after I got out of Cuba. Where'd you meet him? A bar downtown. We got to talking one night, and after that I'd see him around here and there. And I never got to know him real well. Just well enough for him to give you a suitcase full of burglar tools, huh? Yeah, that's right. And you didn't know what was in the case? Huh? No, I didn't look. I didn't figure it was any of my business. That's easy to buy, isn't it? I can't help it. That's the way it is. How much do you know about how the gang works? Not much. Rumble is that they case a place for a couple of days, figure out when's the best time to hit it, and they walk in and burn the safe. They use a car? I don't know. I guess they do. Does Shorty have a car? I don't know. I never saw him with one. He never mentioned it. You ever mentioned where he lived? No, not to me. I, I figure it's over on the east side, though. How do you figure that? Well, just the way he talked. Nothing definite, but... Just the idea. You look at some mugs and tell us if you see this, Shorty? Well, sure. I'd like to see you get him, leaving me to stand for a thing like this all by myself. Anything else you can tell us about the game? No, that's about it. Okay, let's look at the mugs. Oh, well, how about it? I, I still got to go to jail? Well, you still haven't convinced us you're clean. Well, I told you everything I know. Yeah, let's go. Oh, no, no, wait a minute. Look, I go nuts in a cell. You should have thought of that before. Well, I can give you guys a lot of help if I'm on the outside. You haven't given us much here. Well, maybe I can. All right. Go ahead. I can tell you when they're going to pull the next job. We continued to talk to Otto Bronson. He told us that he'd heard the gang was planning to rob the safe of a large chain grocery store in the southern part of the city. He gave us the date and the time that the operation was expected to take place, but he was unable to give us the exact details of how the burglary would be committed. The suspect couldn't tell us whether a car would be used or how the store would be approached. He was unable to give us a description of the other two men in the operation, but he did give us a description of Shorty. We ran the name through the moniker file in R&I. We got back 285 possibles and had the mug shots on the suspects pulled. These were shown to Bronson, but he failed to make an identification. We showed him our mug files on known burglary suspects, but he again failed to come up with an identification. The burglary tools were booked as evidence, and then Frank and I talked with Captain Wisdom. It was agreed that it might be better to release Bronson and have him followed. 8.31 p.m. The suspect was released and placed under constant surveillance. The date Bronson had given us for the next burglary was the following Saturday, August 14th. Frank and I made arrangements to place a stakeout on the store. 
We checked the store and found that there were two entrances, one off the parking lot to one side of the building and one on the street. We took up our position so that both doors could be seen. The area was placed under a Code 5 call so that the stakeout would not be burned. Frank and I waited. 10 p.m., 11, no sign of the burglars. Midnight came and went. At 5.30 a.m., the stakeout was called off, and Frank got to a phone. Yeah, uh-huh. When was that? Yeah? Okay, we'll be right in. Joe. Yeah, anything? Yeah, they lost the tail on Bronson. At approximately 10.30 Saturday night, Otto Bronson had gone into a theater on South Spring Street. The officer following had entered, but had lost the suspect in the darkness. The next morning, Sunday, August 15th, we got a report that Bronson had turned up at his rooming house at 7.45 a.m. I got a call from the business office with this information, and at 8.20, I picked up Frank, and we drove over to see Bronson. Who's there? It's Friday. Oh, just a minute. Hi. Come on in. Well, you guys are up early this morning. How'd it turn out last night? What are you trying to pull, Bronson? What do you mean? You know what we're talking about. Nothing happened last night. Hey, you, you mean they didn't break into the place? That's it. I can't understand that. From what I heard, they had it all case. Where were you last night? Well, you figure I had something to do with it, huh? We just asked you where you were. Oh, what's the matter? Hey, the tale you had on me get lost? We're waiting for an answer, Bronson. I went to a movie and then came on home. You came right home after the picture, huh? Yeah, that's right. Right home. How come it took you so long? Now, what's that mean? You didn't get home until this morning, did you? You guys are pretty thorough, aren't you? Where were you? All right, I stopped and saw a friend. We got to drinking and forgot all about time. That makes me a pigeon for you. Come on, Bronson. Let's go downtown. What for? I haven't done anything. You gave us wrong information about last night. Well, that's not my fault. I'm not running with the guys. I told you what I heard. Now, it's not my beef that it didn't work out. From what I knew, that was the way it was going to be. All right, let's go. Well, now, just a minute. Look, we can work this out, huh? I'm afraid not. Well, I leveled with you guys. I'm not giving you a snow job. That's the way it is. Now, look, you got nothing on me. If you had, you wouldn't have let me go before. Now that I think about it, I don't like the idea of the tail on me. What are you guys going to prove with that? The way you act, it's no wonder you get no cooperation from anybody. It's no wonder at all. All right, now you've made your point. Let's go downtown. Yeah, who is it? Mr. Bronson, it's me, Kelly. It's a landlord. Yeah, what is it? Hey, Mr. Friday here? Yeah, I'm Friday. Phone call for you. You can get it here in the hall. Thanks. You can get it here. Thank you. This Friday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When? Right. We'll be right there. Thanks a lot. Frank? Yeah? It's a business office. we got to leave. Yeah? You called it, Bronson. They worked last night, all right? See, I told you. Yeah, we staked out in South L.A. So? They hit in West L.A. a.m. Frank and I contacted the West Los Angeles detectives and drove out to the scene of the latest burglary. It was a large chain grocery store. The thieves had burned into the safe, and the M.O. was the same as in the other burglaries. All the contents of the safe worth anything had been removed. The crews from the crime lab and Leighton Prince had already finished their investigation and had gone back to go over their findings. Frank and I talked to the manager of the store, Mr. Charles Gleason. Well, let me see, Sergeant. Uh, the first I knew about it was when they called me to say that the safe had been robbed. Mm-hmm. Any idea how much was taken? 
Well, I'd just be guessing with the officers working around here. I didn't get a chance to check it yet, but I'd say about uh, five or six thousand dollars. The weekend and all, we'd done a pretty good business, and I didn't get a chance to get to the bank. I had all that money in the safe. Of course, I'll have to check the books to tell you exactly how much they took, but like I said, it was probably five or six thousand dollars. Do you have a burglar alarm system in the store, Mr. Cleason? I beg your pardon? I said, do you have a burglar alarm system in the store? Yes, and that's a funny thing. I can't understand why it didn't work. The officers uh, who were here from your crime lab, is that it? Yeah, that's right, sir. Well, they said that evidently it had been turned off somehow. I don't understand it, but that's what they said. I see. I wonder if you could give us a list of your employees. Well, yes, certainly, but uh, you don't think that any of them had anything to do with this, do you? Well, they've all got to be checked out, sir. Can you give us the list? Oh, well, yes, I can. I guess that's right, but I, I'm sure that none of them were involved. Well, Mr. Gleason, have you noticed anyone hanging around the store, anyone that might have looked suspicious to you that you can remember? It'd be awfully hard to say. We do a lot of business with all the people who come in and out. It's kind of hard to say. Yes, sir, we understand. But could you remember, was there anyone who attracted your attention? Maybe someone unusual, somebody loitering in the neighborhood, maybe around the store? No, sir, not that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that was taken from the safe that might give us a lead, something that might not ordinarily be in there, something that uh, you could identify easily? No, I don't think so, just the money. Uh, of course, there were several checks, well, you know, once... What you say? Uh, checks that we cashed for the customers, they might have totaled uh, $500. I can give you a list of them. We have them photographed if you want copies of them. Yes, sir, that'd be a big help. Oh, officer, there was one more thing. Yes, sir, what was that? Well, you know how people lose things. Yes, sir. A couple of days ago, we found a watch. It looked expensive. Found it in the back of the store. Uh, that was in the safe, too. Everything's gone. Must have taken that to it, isn't there now? Well, can you give us a description of the watch? Yes, I can. I noticed it because, <laughs> well, to be honest, I was kind of hoping that nobody would claim it. You keep things like that around here for a couple of days and then turn them into you. I'd like to have had that one myself. Certina, it was a gold case with a white face. Only had a few numbers. You know, uh, some of the spots were just the little gold spots. Yeah, I mean the spots were... The, the numbers, the oh, numbers, the little gold spots. I know what you mean, sir. Well, this one had a gold band, and uh, it was one that was a kind of a, a chain thing, not an expansion band. You know, the, the chain, the gold chain? Yes, yeah. sir. Would you know the watch if you saw it again? Oh, sure. I looked at it enough. And then there was that scratch on the crystal, too. Sir? Well, right over the number two, there was a scratch. I can show you right here on my watch. You see right, right there, a little scratch... Mm -hmm. It kind of went off at an angle. It was real easy to spot. Yes, sir, I understand. You know, it's a funny thing, you officers being here. There's a friend of mine once. Well, <laughs> i just soon not mention his name if you don't mind, because he was innocent, you know, but he, he, it looked bad. I was kind of worried about it myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, th these officers came out to his house, just took the place apart. It was all right. It was perfectly legal. They had a search warrant. What'd they come out for? Well, they thought he was mixed up in a robbery. Oh. I don't know how they ever thought it, but it, it, it looked suspicious, I guess. He was seen with some characters that were, well, you know, not very nice. And they came out to his house, took the whole place apart. You never saw such a mess in your life. Ripped up the mattresses, took down a ruined the picture. A beautiful picture. End of the trail. You know the one with the Indian, yes, the spear going down like that? Yes, sir. Took that apart. The whole picture just fell apart. They never could get it back together mm -hmm. again. I don't know whether they can get another one or not. Mm -hmm. The darkest mess you ever saw, huh? I say, did they find anything? Yeah, yeah, they did. They found a fountain pen his wife had lost two years ago. Had her initials on it. Yes, sir. Well, is there anything else you can think of that would help us here? No, not that I can figure. Well, if you do remember anything, sir, here's our card. We'd certainly appreciate a call. Frank Smith, just ask for you, huh? Yes, sir, and if we're not there, just leave a message and we'll get in touch with you. All right, I'll do that. 
Well, thank you very much, Mr. Gleason. You bet. I sure hope you catch the fellows that are doing this. Yes, sir. So do we. Guess you've been after him quite a while, Aaron, huh? Yes, sir, we have. What the papers say, this makes number 13 for him. Bad number 13, kind of unlucky. No worse than number one. Frank and I went back to the city hall and completed our crime report. We contacted the crime lab and Leighton Prince and found that they'd come up with no physical evidence at the scene. From the M.O., it could be definitely established that they were the same suspects we were after. We obtained a list of the employees of the store and checked them out. We came up with no new leads. A list of the checks that had been taken from the safe were given to forgery detail. Frank and I went to Otto Bronson's rooming house and brought him down to the city hall for questioning. You know, maybe if you guys had spent a little more time doing your job and less time bothering me, you'd end up catching those fellas. Don't worry about it, Bronson. We'll get them. We'd like to go over what you did last night again. I told you what. Tell us again, will you? All right. Like I said, I had dinner around 8, maybe 8.30. Where'd you eat? A place over on Spring. See anybody you knew? No, I don't think I did. Where'd you go then? I went to a movie, a place on 7th. See anybody you knew there? No. Well, then you'd have a tough time proving where you were, wouldn't you? Not all the way. You had a tail on me. Most of this you know already. All right. What'd you do after you left the movie? I I told you that. I went over to see a friend. Yeah, where's he live? A hotel on 5th. What's his name? Oh, look, I don't want to see him dragged into this. If he's clean, he's got nothing to worry about, huh? Yeah, sure, but you guys go over and talk to him. It's a lot of embarrassment for him, and I, I just don't want it. All right, let's go. Oh, no. You gonna book me? That's it. I told you what being in a cell does to me. You should have thought about that before. All right, I'll tell you who he is. Well, go ahead. His name's Anderson, Mark Anderson. He ever fallen? No, he's clean. You sure about that? Yeah. No, I suppose you want to go over and talk to him, huh? Yeah, we'll get to it. You're still going to book me? We haven't any choice. Look, I told you what I know, Sergeant. I told you everything. I can't help it if I was wrong. Look, it's no crime to make a mistake, is it? I never read about no law that says you can't make a mistake. Well, why don't you, know, you tell that... us the truth about what you know about these burglaries, I then? told you, I told you. What you told us we can't buy. Well, that's tough, fella, but that's the way it is. Now, I told you what I know. There isn't any more. Now, if you want, go on. Check with Mark Anderson. He'll, he'll tell you I was with him all night. He'll tell you. I, I don't want no trouble, you guys. He, he'll tell you, and that's the truth. Really, I, I'm telling you the truth. Yeah, we've heard that before. p.m., we booked Otto Bronson at the main jail on suspicion of burglary. Before he was put in his cell, we got the address of Mark Anderson. After we'd finished with the booking, Frank and I drove over to the hotel on 5th Street. Anderson was registered in room 812. The desk clerk told us that Anderson was in his room. He was unable to tell us much about Anderson because, as he explained, he'd only worked at the hotel for a week and hadn't seen much of him. We went upstairs and knocked at the door. Yeah? You Mark Anderson? That's right. Who are you? Police officers. I'd like to talk to you. Sure, come on in. This is my partner, Frank Smith. Anderson. What do you want to see me about? You know a fellow named Bronson, Otto Bronson? Yeah, sure, I know Otto. Why don't you see him last? Hey, what's this all about, anyway? Otto done something? Just a routine investigation, Anderson. When was the last time you saw Bronson? Routine, huh? That's right. I saw him last night. Where'd you see him? Here, he came up, sat around, killed a bottle, talked it up. Mm -hmm. What time did he leave here? Must have been about 7.30 this morning, something like that. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Sure. Glad to help out whenever I can. Otto isn't in any trouble, is he? Like we said, it's just routine. Mm-hmm. Well, anything more I can do to help out, you let me know. Huh? Yeah, we'll do that. You leaving right away? Yeah, that's right. We'll be getting back to the office. Well, I'll get my coat and walk down with you. I got a date in 15 minutes. Going to have to romp It's a nice or... watch you got there. Yeah, it's new. Let me take a look at it, will you? Well, it's just a watch. If you don't mind, I like to get going. Let me see the watch. 
Sure, no reason you can't. Here. Okay. You said this was new? Yeah, just got it a couple days ago. Mm -hmm. Did you notice this scratch on the crystal here? Hmm. Yeah, I never saw that before. Guess I'll have to take it back and get another one. Let me see it, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Did you buy this watch? Yeah. Where? What jewelers down the street. You got a receipt for it? No, I didn't. I know the guy. I didn't figure I'd need one. Why don't we take a look through your room? Why? What are you looking for? Just like take a look. You got a search warrant? No, we can get one if we have to. Well, then you better go get one. I'm not having any cops looking through my stuff. Right. Yeah. I told you to get a warrant. You got no right to look in there. Something in the closet you don't figure we should see. No, right? it's not that. It's just... Well, then there's no problem, is there? Joe, there are a couple of suitcases. You want to bring them out? Yeah. There they are. This one's kind of heavy. It feels like there's some sort of tools in it. And open it up. Wait a minute. You got the key for this one, Anderson? There's nothing in there for you. We'll figure that, huh? Joe, looks like this other one's open. Now, about this, Anderson. Money here and these checks. Watch, Joe. All right, Anderson. Oh. All right, come on, get up. Get up. I'll shake him, Joe. Stand still. All right, Anderson, let's go. Otto told you, didn't he? A lousy little sneak, he told you. I never did trust him. I kept telling Shorty. I kept telling him we shouldn't trust him. Who's Shorty? Shorty Miller. Want to tell us where we can find him? Sure, I got nothing to lose. Lousy little Otto. Just the three of you in on the job? Yeah, that's all. Otto, Shorty, and me, just the three of us. Him and his big ideas... How he had it all fixed up when you tagged him. How he was going to get us in the clear. Don't worry, he said. He'd take care of everything. Lousy liar. He'd fix it for us. That's real funny. Shouldn't be. What? He fixed it. The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On December 14th, trial was held in Department 87, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. Otto N. Bronson, Mark A. Anderson, and Samuel R. Miller were tried and found guilty of nine counts of burglary with explosives. They received sentence as prescribed by law. Burglary with explosives is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not less than ten, nor more than forty years. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Vic Perrin, Stacey Harris. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. For a million laughs, tune in Chesterfield's Martin and Lewis show, Tuesday on this same NBC station. As originally heard on NBC back on the 2nd of March in 1953... That was Dragnet, and the name of that episode was The Big Informant. 
what I was talking about at the beginning of the show was when Friday and Smith go in the guy's apartment and say, can I look in your closet? Can I look in your drawers? And he says, no. And they say, why? You shouldn't mind if you got nothing to hide. That's the line. <laughs> if you have nothing to hide, why won't you let us? Well, that got them into a lot of trouble. And later on, there was an episode entitled The Big Ruling. Or the big, yeah, the big ruling. And we played it, oh, maybe a year ago, where it was the first time they got their hand slapped because they had tried to introduce as evidence information that was not obtained legally because they didn't have a warrant and they didn't have consent. You know, I, I guess in a perfect world, you could say that. Well, if you have nothing to hide, what do you care? But there's an assumed right to privacy, correct? Although you certainly don't want to protect criminals, you don't want the police to have that much authority either, that they can actually deny you your, your right to privacy. Dragnet was just a wonderful show, and we'll, of course we'll have other episodes in the weeks ahead. I always loved the chemistry between uh, Frank Smith and Joe Friday. You didn't hear it so much in this one tonight, but they developed that more and more as uh, the years went on. KCBQ. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. I've received a number of nice emails from listeners, and I thought I'd share a couple of them tonight. The first one that I wanted to share right now is from Lynn, and I'm just going to say Lynn A., because I don't want to use anyone's last name without their permission. Lynn A. in Lincoln, Nebraska. And Lynn says, Dear Bob, she says, I listen to your show every other week on Yesterday USA, which is one of our venues. And she says, I listen with my grandpa, and he really loves it, and he's made me love it too. I love Gunsmoke, and I especially like Jack Benny. <laughs> well, that's good. We, had a, we have a Benny show coming up tonight. I think you're going to get a kick out of Lynn. Anyway, she goes on to say that Grandpa tells me a lot of stories about when he was a teenager growing up in the 50s and 60s, and he also said that there was a lot of good music on the country charts back then. And he was wondering if you have any Sandy Posey songs. We'll continue to listen. I hope you read my letter on your show. Sincerely, Lynn A. Okay, well, thank you, Lynn. Thank you very much. I like that when we have young people listen and... Uh, Especially listening with her grandpa, that's, that's a really cool thing. And yeah, I have Sandy Posey. How about this one? This is one that uh, was a big hit for her, and it's called Single Girl. Wondering if love could be 
little baby ducks, old pickup trucks, slow moving trains and rain. I love little country streams, sleep without dreams, Sunday school in May and hay. And I love you too. I love leaves in the wind, pictures of my friends, birds of the world, and squirrels. I love coffee in a cup. Little fuzzy pups, bourbon in a glass, and grass. And I love you too. I love honest open smiles, kisses from a child. Tomatoes on the vine and onions. I love winners when they cry, losers when they try, music when it's good and life. And I love you too. Well, there was a couple classic country selections that uh, Lynn's grandpa will remember up there in Lincoln, Nebraska. Something familiar. Something familiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, I'll we'll come in tonight. Well, this time on the Comedy now, the episode we're going to play tonight, again, goes back just a little further than most of the Benny shows we play here on Boomer Boulevard. But it does come from 1947, and technically our Boomer generation started around 1945, so this is certainly in line. This is another one of the shows that featured Ronald Coleman and his long-suffering wife, Benita Hume. They did 20 shows, if, I, if I've counted correctly. 20 times they appeared on The Benny Show, and we've been trying to play as many of those over the last several weeks as we can. And this is a good one. This one was originally broadcast on April 27th in 1947. Now, the first half of the show, Jack is getting ready to leave for what they call a vaudeville tour, which I, that kind of surprised me in 47. But he's going back to do a stage show in Chicago at the Chicago Theater, which, of course, is still very prominent today right down there on Michigan Avenue. 
And then in the second part of the show, we'll get involved with the Colemans. And it's very funny. In fact, you might notice or look for a laugh in here that that lasts almost 30 seconds, which is a pretty long laugh, even by Benny's standards. It comes right when the Colemans are talking to each other about Phil Harris. (laughs) So look for it. Okay, here we go. The Jack Benny Show from April 27th, 1947, leaving for Chicago. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Barry Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, next Sunday, immediately after the broadcast, Jack Benny and his gang leave for the East to fulfill vaudeville engagements in Chicago and New York. So let's go out to Beverly Hills where we find Mary and Rochester helping Jack prepare for the big event. Gosh, Mary, isn't it exciting? Next Sunday we'll be on that train. A few days later we'll be on the stage at the Chicago Theater. You know, Jack, playing vaudeville is going to be a lot different from radio. You said it. I brought a couple of dresses over so you can tell me which one you think will look best. Good. Here. How do you like this one? Well, I don't know. It doesn't look bad, and I like the puff sleeves but I think the neck is cut much too low. That's the back. Oh. So hard to tell when it's empty. <laughs> let's, uh, let's see the other dress, Mary. Okay. Uh, how about this one? It has a rainbow sash, a peekaboo waist, and I... No, no, don't bother, Mary. I've changed my mind. I'll wear a tuxedo. <laughs> I mean, that stuff doesn't get laughs anymore, you know. But you know, Mary, it's going to be fun getting back on the stage again. (laughs) What are you laughing at? Did you hear what Fred Allen said about you last week? No, no, Mary. What did he say? Well, he said... He said that? (laughs) What? And not only that, Jack. He said that you killed Vaudeville. Now you're returning to the scene of the crime. Certainly I killed Vaudeville. After the way Alan made it suffer, what I did was an act of mercy. (laughs) Alan, Alan. Thinks he's so smart since they made him a vice president. Anyway, in spite of what Alan says, when we get to Chicago Theater, we're going to have a terrific show. Uh, which reminds me, Rochester, did you buy the new strings for my violin like I told you to? Uh-huh. I couldn't decide whether to get you the wire strings or the gut strings. Well, why didn't you ask the man? I did, and he said, take shoelaces. Nobody will know the difference. <laughs> well, that's ridiculous. I mean, how can I get music out of laces? You can play Shoo Shoo Baby by Florsheim. <laughs> oh, Livy, paint your eyes red. You're another Phil Harris. Mary, stop clowning. I got to think about the show I'm going to do in Chicago. She is going to be sensational. 
I can just see it now. The band plays. Thank you, Rochester. Then I, um, then I step out on the stage into a big spotlight and take my first bow, like this. Jack, that's no bow. You have to bend from the waist. You mean like this? Ooh, ooh. Ooh, my back. Come on, Jack, try it again. Get your head lower. Mary, I can't bend down any further. Let's tie his hands behind his back and put a dollar bill on the floor. <laughs> Never mind, Jack. You can practice bowing later. Straighten up now. Okay. <clears throat> Ooh, gee, it isn't like it used to be in vaudeville. Gee, I can't straighten up. I, I mean, I can't stay bent over like this. Rochester, don't stand there. Do something. I'm thinking, boss. I'm thinking. I got it. What? As long as you're in that position, let's go upstairs and bring down the trunk. <laughs> Cut that out. Mary, this is all your fault. There, I'm all right now. Come in. Hello, everybody. Hello, Dennis. Oh, hello, kid. Hey, you should have been here a couple of seconds ago, Dennis. I was bent over and I couldn't straighten up. Gee, that happened to my father once. He bent down to lift something and he couldn't stra straighten up again. Why, well, 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 what did he do? <laughs> or what did well, you well, do, rather? Well, 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 my mother tied his head to the radiator and his feet to the bed. Yeah? And then she took her arms and pushed down on him and pushed and pushed, when all of a sudden, boing! Gee. Vertebrae flew in all directions. <laughs> well, look, kid, I'm getting ready to do a stage show, and I want to get my act in shape. Have you got any ideas? Well, last summer, I wanted to give my voice a rest, so I formed an adagio act, and I went on the road. Dennis, you did an adagio act? Yeah, but I had to give it up. Well, you weren't strong enough, huh? Oh, I was plenty strong. I'd take the girl, whirl her around my head, and then throw her. The first time, she broke her arm. Then she broke her leg, and then she broke her nose. I felt awful about it. Well, that doesn't sound like your fault, Dennis. Maybe when you threw her, the other fellow didn't catch her right. Oh, other fellow. <laughs> Mary, stop looking at him like that. He's only a kid. Say, Jack. What? Rochester is so anxious to go on the stage with you. Why don't you let him do a song? Hey, that might be a pretty good idea. How about it, Rochester? Oh, boss, forget it. No, no, Rochester, don't be bashful. Now, come on. I mean, you might be swell on the stage. Come on. Let's hear you sing a song. Maybe we can put it in the show, huh? Okay. Go ahead. Won't you come with me to Alabama? Let's go see my dear old man. He's right things around here, I'd rather it be you. Now, come on, let's have it.
Dennis, that's a nice song. Say, boss, don't you think there's a place for me to sing a song on your stage show? No, no, Rochester. When we're in the theater, I want you to do just the part I gave you. Have you been rehearsing it? Yeah, all week. Well, let's hear it. Peanuts, popcorn, and candy. <laughs> Peanuts, popcorn, and walking and pennants. <laughs> very good, Rochester. Very good. Remember what I told you. Never change a $5 bill unless you take it out to the light. You Benny, what are you going to do on the show? Oh, I'm going to do everything, kid. You know, master of ceremonies, a solo on the violin. And for the first time in my career, I'm going to do a tap dance. One of those old-fashioned tap dances where you put sand on the floor. Oh, Jack, that's corny. It is not. Rochester, where's that little box of sand? There, there. Now, dump it on the floor. Yes, sir. Now, I'll practice my tap dance. Dennis, uh, help me out by humming Swanee River, will you? Oh, okay. Da 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 dee da 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 Fred Astaire should see me. Da 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 dee da da Come in! Hiya, Jackson. Hello, kid. Phil, come on in here. Yeah, what are you doing, Jackson? Kind of looking over some of the old routines, huh? So we can... Holy smoke, who put that sand on the floor? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Phil. Let us help you up. No, no, Jackson. Phil, let us pick you up. It won't be the first time. <laughs> Come on, leave me alone. I'll do it myself. The last time somebody helped me up, they bumped my head on the curb. <laughs> All right, have it your own way. Anyway, I'm busy rehearsing for the show, you know. Say, Jack, when do we arrive in Chicago? Watch for the day, the 7th of May. And our show opens at the Chicago Theater on the 9th. Now, Phil, Phil, have you thought about your act for the stage show? Don't worry about me, Jackson. Don't worry. After the dull stuff you're going to do, I'll walk out and throw that Harris smile on them and melt the butter on their popcorn. What? And then I'll hit them with 30 or 40 courses of That's What I Like About the South. 30 or 40 choruses? Well, I haven't got time to give it all to them. 
Bill, you wouldn't have the nerve to walk out in front of an audience and sing that song. He wouldn't, eh? What about the time he went to Tommy Manville's wedding and sang Thanks for the Memory? <laughs> I guess you're right, Mary. You can say what you like, Livy, but I know what I'm doing. As a matter of fact, when I play a theater, I make them take the bulbs out of the marquee and put my picture up there. Your picture? Why don't you let them put your name up there? I don't trust nobody. How do I know what they're spelling? <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. I never thought of that. No, something, Jackson. I got to get that billing that I deserve. I'm a great comedian. Oh, fine. Some great comedian. He's got two shows on NBC, and he hasn't been cut off the air once. <laughs> you know, I need you like a moose needs a hat rack. <laughs> I can't understand why that didn't get a laugh. Three weeks I've been doing it It's never gotten a laugh Norman Krasner loved it I... Anyway, kids It'll be a lot of fun Going to Be a lot of fun Going to Chicago, New York But I'm going to miss The gang here in Beverly Hills You know, all my friends And the, the Ronald Coleman's Next door Incidentally, they're coming To our broadcast today I sent them two tickets I'm here in the library, Benita. Oh, there you are. What are you doing? I'm just reading. Ah, this is marvelous. Just wonderful. And so true, too. Oh, put away those reviews on the late George Apley. <laughs> All right, darling, but, but I haven't read them yet today. <laughs> oh, darling, I meant to tell you, Mr. Benny was over, and he left a pair of tickets for us for his broadcast. Look, I wouldn't go to Benny's broadcast if I were the guest star. <laughs> By the way, when did he leave the tickets? When he borrowed your full dress suit. My food suit When will that man stop? Next thing we know He'll be wanting to borrow our piano Oh, Ronnie Look in the living room <laughs> No, no This is too much That man drives me mad If he hadn't borrowed my razor I'd go upstairs and cut my throat <laughs> oh, no. Please don't He's got our band-aids, too <laughs> How do you like that? Well, well, calm down, calm down. We will have a bit of a vacation soon. Mr. Benny's going away on a vaudeville tour. Vaudeville tour? Well, what in the world could Benny do on the stage? <laughs> Play the violin, I suppose. What, you mean that, that people will pay money to hear Benny play the violin? <laughs> yes. Huh. Say, Benita, let's you and I go out and join Spike Jones. <laughs> Don't be so silly. Uh, darling, pass me an apple, will you? I feel a bit hungry. Here you are. Thank you. You know, in his vaudeville act, Mr. Benny will have Manchester and also Mr. Harris. Uh, Phil Harris? Uh-huh. Benita, have you ever seen any of Phil Harris's musicians? <laughs> Please, Ronnie, I'm eating. <laughs>
certainly we've had the weirdest experiences since we moved here. You remember the, remember the afternoon when we thought there was an eclipse? And then we found that Don Wilson had walked between our house and the sun. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> what strange people. Oh, and darling, I meant to ask you about Dennis Day. Is he really Irish? Irish? <laughs> he thinks that when you die, you go to Gluckamora and Barry Fitzgerald lets you in. <laughs> one normal person in the whole crew. There is? Yes. Well, haven't you ever noticed Mary Livingston? <laughs> well, my dear, you, you've got to admit that Miss Livingston is pretty, and when she stands alongside of one of the... I'll get it. Hello? Oh, Jack Benny, we, we were just talking about you. Yes, I, I know we have tickets to your broadcast today, but I'm afraid we were... I realize that, Jack, but I, I... I know, Jack, but... 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 But, well, well that's all very well, J Jack, but it just so happens that today we thought we'd stay at home. Well, Ronnie, you know I hate to brag, but all of my programs have been very good, and today's going to be one of the best, and you're lucky to be able to get some tickets because it's very hard to get. If you don't want them, there'll be plenty of other customers. I mean, people will be glad to use the tickets, so I won't take no for an answer, Ronnie. I'll even drive you down to my cars. We'll be ready in five minutes. Goodbye. <laughs> Well, kids, we're going to have some very famous people in our audience today, Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman, and they insist that I drive them to the studio. Rochester, get the car ready. Don't you want me to shave you first? No, no, I've already shaved. How come so early, boss? Well, now that daylight saving time is here, I get my five o'clock shadow at four. <laughs> now, look, kids, today, let's try to do the best show we ever oh, did. Oh, Jack, stop worrying. Don. Don, what are you doing here? My quartet, too. Aren't you, aren't you supposed to be down at the studio rehearsing? Why, yes, Jack, but we've got an idea for your stage show that I think will be wonderful, won't it, fellas? <laughs> you mean for the quartet? Yes. You remember that old song, Chloe? You mean they have an arrangement of Chloe? Well, come on, Don, let's hear it. All right, take it, boys. Oh, that's fine, 
<laughs> that, that was fine, Don. We'll try and use it in our show. Well, kids, we better, be, we better get going to the studio now. I gotta pick up the Coleman. Well, I can take the sportsman and Dennis in my car. Good, good. Mary, you come with me. Jack, Jack, please hurry. Benita and I are waiting. <laughs> Oh, Ronnie, I'll be right... Dennis, stop that! <laughs> now, let's get going. Come on, Rochester, get the car. Now, Benita, riding in this car is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. I know how you feel. Look at all that dirt on the floor. I don't mind the dirt, but the weeds are so high. <laughs> you want to change places with me? I can't. My pants are caught on the spring. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm glad we're going down this side street so nobody sees us. Are you folks comfortable back there? Oh, I'm fine. Well, frankly, I find it a little drafty. Drafty? Well, we'll fix that. <laughs> Rochester, Rochester, stop the car and put up the curtain. Yes, sir. Oh, no, 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 don't, don't bother. It'll be all right. Are you comfortable, Jack? Sure, why? I thought you'd be a little cramped up there with the meter. <laughs> oh, stop with that. Uh, say, Jack, is this an English car? An English car? Yeah, I noticed the steering wheel is on the right. Oh, no, no, it, it's just bent that way. <laughs> Oh, I see an accident on Hollywood Boulevard. No struggle on Mulholland Drive. <laughs> Rochester. Now, don't drive so fast because... Oh, look, look, there's Greer Garson. Hello, Greer. Look, she's waving at us. How are you, Greer? Goodbye, goodbye, Greer. Benita, you and Ronnie can sit up again. We've passed her. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. Jack, do we have to go so fast? There's an awful wind back here. There is? Yes, uh, Benita. Lucky you brought your muff with you. My muff? Yes, right there on your arm. Uh, oh, yeah, Mr. Bennett, this must have blown off your head. <laughs> oh, oh, thanks, thanks. Uh, by the way, Jack, is this car the Maxwell you used to talk so much about? No, no, Ronnie. During the war, I gave my Maxwell to the scrap drive. Oh, Yes, and, and this is what they gave you in return? <laughs> well, no, no, you see... Rochester, there's a red light. I see it! <sighs> we made it, Ronnie. You can put your rabbit's foot away now. <laughs> you know, folks, I think that... Oh, Mr. Benny, Mr. Benny, may I have your autograph, please? Why, certainly, of course. There you are. And you're Mary Livingston, aren't you? Yes, I am. And, oh, my goodness, this is a surprise. You are... Mr. and Mrs. Herman Schlagelmeyer. <laughs> Gee, and I thought you were Roy Rogers. <laughs> Rochester, the light's green now. Yes, sir. Hurry, Rochester, start the car. We're holding up traffic. 
my lap. It's only the motor. I wasn't... <laughs> I wasn't frightened. I was thrown. <laughs> We're going to save Rochester. Start the car. We're holding up everybody. I can't understand why it acts like this. I've, I've done everything for this motor. Have you had it vaccinated for whooping cough? <laughs> Rochester, try it again. <clears throat> Ronnie, Benita, would you mind getting out and helping us push? Get out and push. Mr. Benny, let me explain something to you. I didn't want to go to your broadcast. I didn't want to ride in your car. And as far as I'm concerned, oh, if darling, I never... look, we're stalled right in front of Rama's Chinese where they're showing the late George Ackley. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go. <laughs> well, the least he could do is come back and pick up the door. Come on, Mary, let's push. Well, that was the Jack Benny Show from 1947, April the 27th to be exact, when he was still on NBC, and the name of that episode is generally considered to be Leaving for Chicago. Pretty funny. There was, you know, 1947, like I said, that's the year of my birth, and I was not alive in April, so many of the things that are referred to here are things I know little about. So I had to do some research on this one. First of all, did you notice the one part where Jack said, Fred Allen thinks he's so smart since they made him a vice president? And I looked that up, and I don't know what he was talking about, to be honest. Now, I know that Fred Allen used to have a lot of uh, fun poking fun at vice presidents of NBC. But I'm not sure what Jack was talking about there. If anybody knows, why don't you drop me a line? Bob at BoomerBoulevard.com. And then what was that thing with uh, Dennis? He said that uh, when he was resting his voice, he formed an adagiwack and went on the road. Am, am I pronouncing that right? Adagiwack? I have no idea what that is. Obviously, it was one of those uh, dance numbers where the man would kind of throw the woman around. If anybody knows what a Dajuac is, give me a note. Uh, I'm really going to be picking your brains this time around. And then they made a re reference to Tommy Manville, talking about uh, singing at his wedding, and the wedding song was Thanks for the Memory. Tommy Manville was somebody I never knew, but I do remember when I was a kid, Mad Magazine, back in, I'm talking about in the mid-50s, I think the first Mad Magazine came out in 53. The first one I ever saw was the 19, uh, 1954 edition. It had uh, three monkeys on it, but the monkeys all had uh, Alfred E. Newman's face, and it was see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. At any rate, Mad Magazine used to joke a lot about Tommy Manville. And as a kid, like in second or third grade, just 
you know, old enough to read, I, I never knew who Tommy Manville was. Well, it ends up that Tommy Manville was a Manhattan socialite, and he was heir to the Johns Manville asbestos fortune. <laughs> I don't know if they're still making money from asbestos today, but Johns Manville went on to other manufacturing, I'm sure. But Tommy Manville was a, a pretty big celebrity as a socialite in the, in the 40s and 50s, early 50s. And he was famous because he was very, very rich, and he was married 13 times. In fact, he has entered into the Guinness Book of World Records. And every time he got a divorce or got married, it made all the gossip columns. In fact, uh, Tommy Manville once had this famous quote. He said, when I meet a beautiful girl, the first thing I say to her is, will you marry me? The second thing I say is, how do you do? <laughs> yep, I guess every time he got a divorce, it cost him a lot of money, and it used to be reported all the time, and so he became a big, uh, a big joke. One other thing there, uh, Jack, talking about Phil Harris, quipped, he has two shows on NBC, and he hasn't been cut off the air once. Now, again, I'm not sure what this is referring to. I do know that Fred Allen, back in about this time period, a couple times was edited on the air. They actually censored out a 30-second portion of his show where he was making fun of NBC vice presidents. Now, maybe Jack was referring to that, but maybe he was referring to something else. I really have no idea. He said he's, he's got two comedy shows, and he hasn't been cut off the air once, and that got a big laugh. Another thing, Jack did a joke about, uh, oh, he said, that's about as unnecessary as a hat rack for a moose. And then he complained because it didn't get a very big laugh. And he said, well, Norman Krasna loved that joke. Now, I wonder what that was all about. Now, I did look up Norman Krasna. His last name is spelled K-R-A-S-N-A. And he was a, an American screenwriter and a playwright, a producer, and he even directed, I think, three Hollywood films. He was in Hollywood for about 40 years. And he was uh, nominated for an Academy Award, oh, I think it was three times for screenwriting. Let me see here. Look in my notes. Four. Four Academy Award nominations. He was best known for writing kind of screwball comedies, and many of them centered on the case, on, on a case of mistaken identity. In fact, in the very year this show came out, 1947, he had written a screenplay for a film entitled Dear Ruth that starred Joan Caulfield and William Holden, and that was exactly the plot there was, it, it, there was a case of mistaken identity, and it ended up in a, in a very big comedy. But I don't know exactly what his connection was to Jack Benny. And uh, I couldn't find anything on it. Ronald Coleman, I love the way they make jokes about, or he jokes about his uh, vanity. <laughs> and uh, you probably guessed it. He had a movie that came out in 1947 entitled The Late George Appley. And it was a comedy. It was directed by Joseph Mankiewicz. And I, I assume it was playing at Grauman's Chinese Theater in 47. But he was reading his reviews. And... Benita likes to kid him about that. Also, the song that the Sportsman Quartet was uh, lampooning with the Lucky Strike commercial, Chloe, near as I can figure, that was a song by Duke Ellington, 
but the only thing I had could find was an instrumental version, and I never did uh, never did find anything with lyrics. So I'm not sure. I could be wrong about that too. So you can see, there's just a whole lot of things I don't know about 1947, but I sure have a lot of questions. Why in the world would he say something like that? They also mentioned Spike Jones. Remember Spike Jones? <laughs> well, he did a lot of uh, comedy albums and comedy takeoffs on popular songs, like this one here. Spike Jones with a hit song that was uh, very popular back in the early 50s. Okay, I wanted to read one other uh, email I, I received. It's from uh, Doug H. in Phoenix, Arizona. Dear Bob, I feel as though I know you. I grew up in Compton. Same age as you, I listen on my Amazon Echo. Just completed all 88 shows. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, I sent him a note back and uh, told him thank you and talked a little bit about where I exactly where I grew up, if he knew the neighborhood. And then he sent me a note back. He said, um, let me see. He said, on the TV show, Ozzy and Harriet, Ozzy promoted an album entitled Ricky Sings Inspirational. He says, I've never been able to lay my hands on a copy. You played a duet of Ricky and Dean Martin. Do you think you have the song Glory Train? by Ricky, which was the song he sang at the end of the TV show when his dad did the promo. Well, actually, I did have a copy of that, and I sent it on to uh, Doug. I'm not going to play it on the show because it's uh, like a gospel song, so it you know it's, it just doesn't fit exactly what our, uh, our premise is here, though. But I was curious to see if Doug received it, and I was wondering, Chester, you have his phone number, right? 
and, and you called him. You're you're calling him now. Okay. Oh. Uh, he's got he's got Doug on the phone. By the way, I don't know if you heard, but Phoenix. Okay, he's putting it through. Phoenix is uh, is up to 120 degrees this week. It's going to be perhaps one of the hottest days on record in Phoenix. You have Doug on the line. Yeah, just put him on, would you, Chester? Hi, Doug. <laughs> Doug, you okay? Doug, maybe you better go inside and, and get something cool to get into the air conditioning. Did you get the song I sent you? Okay, Chester. Yeah, Doug, I'll check back on <laughs> when you get cooled off. Man, 120. Yeah, that's that's hot. All right. 120 degrees, man. That's melting. Oh man, that is hot, man. That's melting. That's melting. Well, hopefully he'll be okay. In the meantime, here's that uh, Dean Martin, Ricky Nelson song that uh, Doug was talking about. It's the beautiful song that was sung in Rio Bravo. The sun is sinking in the west. The cattle go down to the stream. The red wing settles in her nest. It's time for a cowboy to dream. Purple eyes in the canyon, that's where I long to be with my sweet good companion. Just my rifle, pony, and me gonna hang my sombrero. On the limb of a tree coming home, sweetheart darling, just my rifle pony and me. Whippoorwill in the willow sings a sweet melody. Amarillo, Amarillo, just my rifle, pony, and me. No more cow, no more cow to be roping, to be roping. No more stray, no more stray. Will I see round the bend, round the bend? She'll be waiting, she'll be waiting for my rifle.
doesn't that music just take you back? Yeah, it takes you back to the Old West. The year is 1874. We're in Dodge City, Kansas. Walking up Front Street, shoulder to shoulder, with the United States Marshal Matt Dillon. Along the way, we run into Kitty and Doc and Chester and the whole gang on Gunsmoke. Well, we have a good episode tonight, a really good episode, one of my favorites. The other day, I was listening, or not listening, I was reading in one of the old-time radio forums that I belong to, uh, somebody's question about an episode of Gunsmoke, and they described the episode. They said that it was about a sheriff that came into town from the east, and he was looking for a killer who had escaped many years ago, and he had tracked him to Dodge City, and the man was a doctor. And the more he talks and explains who he's looking for, the more Matt becomes upset, because the man he's looking for is none other than Doc Adams. The uh, fellow on the forum asked if anyone could remember the name of the episode. Well, I was about to volunteer, but somebody jumped in ahead of me. The name of the episode was Cavalcade. And I thought, you know, that is one of my very favorite episodes. And I thought, I'm going to play it this week, but I thought I'd check to see when it was last played. Ends up, I have never played this in 10 years. That's an oversight somehow. I don't know how it happened, but we're going to correct it right now. So here we go. From January the 31st in 1953, this is Gunsmoke and Cavalcade. Dodge City entered the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Could I give you some more coffee? Uh, yeah, I guess so. How about you, Chester? Yes, sir, I believe I will. Now, why don't you just leave the coffee pot here on the table, Miss Kelly? Why, sure thing, Marshal. Right. Well, I got some fresh eggs this morning, if you're interested. They oh? were just brought in. Well, good, good. Uh, cook us up about a half a dozen of them, huh? Have them for you right away, Mr. Dillon. <laughs> All right. Fresh eggs, my. I'll swear if Delmonico's ain't getting to be about as fancy as some of them Kansas City restaurants. <laughs> well, that's civilization, Chester. Progress. Another five years and Dodge City will be tamed, curried, and bridled. Ah, 
Seeing's believing, Mr. Dillon. Well, you'll see it. Both of us will see it. That is, if we live that long. Yeah. I beg your pardon, gentlemen. Uh, you Mr. Dillon, yes? the marshal here? Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Well, I'm sorry to bother you at breakfast, Marshal. My name is Hunter. Ed Hunter. Mr. Hunter. I'm a deputy sheriff from Richmond, Virginia. Come in on the Santa Fe this morning. I see. Well, uh, why don't you pull up a chair, Mr. Hunter? Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, Chester Proudfoot, Mr. Hunter. How do you do? How do you do, sir? So here's my first trip to the frontier. I find it a rather remarkable experience. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, won't you have some coffee? I oh, know, thank you. Marshal, I'm here to arrest two men who are wanted in Virginia. No? Here are the warrants and the orders of extradition. I stopped off for them in Topeka. Uh-huh. Yeah. John Allison. Calvin Moore. Both wanted for murder, huh? Hey, do you know these men, Mr. Hunter? No, sir, I don't. Well, the names aren't familiar to me. I never heard of them. Have you a Chester? No, sir, Mr. Dillon. Well, I have some information that may help. Not much on Allison, I'm afraid. He shot and killed a bank teller at Greenbrier last spring. Oh? He's about 30 years old, dark hair and mustache, medium build, an excellent horseman and a confirmed gambler. <laughs> well, that's fine. That narrows it down to about two-thirds of the men in Dodge City. <laughs> Well, possibly I can do a bit better in regard to Calvin Moore, Mr. Dillon. <laughs> now, he came down to Richmond from the north and set up practice as a medical doctor. He was about 29 at the time. And he ambushed and shot young Roger Beauregard and then left town. That uh -huh. was uh, 17 years ago. Beauregard's been trying to trace him ever since. Well, I'm afraid that's a pretty well, long I have a time. picture of Moore, photograph. Oh? Uh -huh. Of course, he was much younger than this. Well, sometimes there's still quite a resemblance even after 17... Something familiar about that picture, Mr. Dillon? Uh, uh, 17 years. He must be somewhere past 45 now, huh? Hmm. Are you sure that these men are here in Dodge, Mr. Hunter? Reasonably so. Is there something about that photograph that makes you... Well, it's, it's too blurred to tell much about it. Besides, he'd be 17 years older. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I tell you what, Mr. Hunter, suppose you leave the picture and the descriptions with me and I'll check around town and... I'll keep in touch with you. Why, thank you, sir. Oh, I wonder if you might suggest a good hotel. Uh, certainly. Why don't you try the Dodge House? It's a corner of Railroad Avenue at the end of the plaza, the east end. Uh, tell a deacon I sent you. I uh, thank you again, Mr. Dillon. And I'll be grateful for any help you can give me in this matter. Yeah, sure. So long. You want to see the photograph, Chester? Yes, sir, I do. From Mr. Dillon, that is... That's... Yeah. What are you going to do, Mr. Dillon? I don't know, Chester. He's my friend. I, I, I never asked him anything about his life before he came here. Didn't seem to matter. But now the law says he's a murderer. I'm part of the law. So now it does matter. Maybe it's not him. No, it's him, all right, Chester. You saw it the same as I did. It's dark. Work, 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 work. This is the first chance I've had this week to clean a few instruments properly. Gunshot wounds. Oh, Matt. 
I'll lay odds I'm the only doctor in the United States who makes three-fourths of his living off of gunshot wounds. <laughs> That's a rough country, Doc. Yes, indeed it's a rough country. Uh, maybe you ought to have stayed back east. Yes, huh? see, broken bones, babies, and gunshot wounds. Well, I wouldn't know the first thing about a good civilized case of gout anymore. Uh, what part of the East did you come from, Doc? You see, I went to medical school in Boston. I studied consumption, colic, liver complaints. <laughs> Never had a case of liver complaint in all the time I've been here, though. No, I guess that kind of thing is more common down south, around uh, Richmond, Virginia, for instance, huh? <sighs> Matt, stop beating around the bush. You've got something on your mind, and it's bothering you. Look, Doc, uh, a deputy sheriff from Virginia came in on the morning train. He's got a warrant for murder against a man named Calvin Moore. He's got a photograph of Moore taken 17 years ago. Would you like to look at it? All things are taken from us and become portions and parcels of the dreadful past. Are you Calvin Moore? It wasn't murder, Matt. They said it was murder, of course. The Beauregards were an important family. Would you like to tell me about it? Oh, not much to tell, Matt. I'd been in practice in Richmond about a year. There was a girl. Beautiful girl. The spirit and fire and that soft radiance that only southern girls seem to have. And, you know, me, that was so long ago. Uh, I've been in the South myself. Uh, Roger Beauregard and I were both courting this girl. He was a typical Virginia gentleman, hot-headed, used to having his own way. He, he started threatening me, warning me. And I laughed it off. Then one day I was coming back from a case, and I ran into Roger on a country road. He had a pair of dueling pistols, and he challenged me. What? Well, that's not a crime, Doc. That's self-defense. It's not a crime here or anywhere. Well, I tried to talk him out of it, but he was crazy mad. He shoved one of the pistols in my hand, and he pulled back on his horse, and he leveled his gun. I had no choice. We both fired. He missed. I didn't. Self-defense, yes, but there were no witnesses, and I was an outsider, a Yankee. So you ran for it, is that it? I ran for it. St. Louis, Virginia City, Montana Territory, the Panhandle, Wichita, Abilene, and Dodge. I changed my name to Charles Adams. And the, uh, the girl, Doc, what happened to her? I waited for her in St. Louis. We were married there. Two months later, she died of typhoid fever. Well, you never know. No matter how much you figure you understand somebody, you just quite never know. I can't go back there, Matt. I've got no defense. Well, I'd mean prisoner. I'd rot in prisoner. I won't go back, Matt. Now, Doc, look, Hunter is here after two prisoners. I got no right to, to my own rules to go after one man and keep the other one covered. I always figured that the only kind of law that would work out here is an honest law. What are you going to do? Doc, I don't know.
You're late, Matt. I decided you weren't going to stop in tonight. Is Chester around, Kim? Yeah, over there by the faro table. Oh. Matt, what about this Virginian who's been hanging around for the last two days? Oh, Hunter? Yeah. Well, he's a deputy sheriff, got a couple of warrants to serve. Why? Well, he's been asking questions. Some of the boys are getting a little skittish. Now, there's no call for it as long as they're not named Allison or Moore. Are you free now, Miss Kitty, huh? or are you busy? What's it look like? Well, I figured maybe he was just killing time. Uh, hiya, Marshal. Bunko? Uh, bought you a drink, Kitty. It's over on the bar. All right. Thanks. Matt, I'll be off in a couple of hours. Drop around. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I understand you've got a rival lawman in town, Marshal. Well, there's a deputy here from Virginia, if that's what you mean. I always figured you were the law here. Is he short in this town, Marshal? Say the word, we'll run him out. I ever ask you for help, Bunko? Well, no. When but... a man's short in Dodge, I'll run him out. And no offense, Marshal. You keep your own cinch tight. Don't worry about anybody else, huh? I'll see you, Bunko. I swear I never saw anybody such bad luck in all my life. My gracious, he ought to swear off Pharaoh and stick this dud. Oh, Chester. Hmm? The old Jethro Keener. He just lost three weeks' pay. And Bunko Benson, sitting right there beside him, mind you, picked up $230. So that's why he's feeling big. Uh, come on, Chester, let's take a walk. Huh? Yes, sir. Three weeks' pay. Mercy, I never saw such luck. What about Doc, Chester? He turned in a couple of hours ago. That's when I came on over here. How's he acting? About as usual. No signs of planning to run out, if that's what you mean, Mr. Don. One thing he's doing, though, that he's never done before, he's toting a gun. Uh, good evening, Marshal. Oh, uh, hello, Mr. Hunter. Since you didn't come to me, Mr. Dillon, I've come to you. I'm wondering what progress you've made. Well, I, uh, I'm still checking. Any results at all, Marshal? Well, I don't have much to go on, you know. Now, Calvin Moore was a doctor by profession. He might still be practicing. I suggest we investigate the local doctors. Well, that wouldn't take long. We've only got one, Doc Adams. How long has he been here? Oh, about four years. How old a man is he? Mm, late 40s, I imagine. But he doesn't show much resemblance to that photograph you gave me. Well, maybe you're too used to him to notice the resemblance. Yeah, maybe. I'd like to look him over myself, Marshal. Well, uh, he's pretty busy out on calls most of the time. and uh... Not all the time. No, not all the time. All right, Mr. Hunter, I'll bring him around. Hmm. That's funny, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, he should have answered by now. Well, we're wasting our time, Chester. He's gone. Well, now, he he, he might have got called out on a case. Yeah, I know, but I don't... Hey, what? Uh, that was across the plaza, down toward the Dodge house. Come on, Chester. Somebody 
Sure is stirring up smoke. Yeah, that's across the street. Edge of the railroad yards, I think. Is that you, Marshal? Yeah. What happened, Mr. Hunter? Somebody tried to kill me. I started into the hotel and they fired from the dock here. Yeah, I fired back, but he got away. You, uh... Get a good look at him? Oh, no, I just saw the flashes. Well, this is an easy town to get killed in, Mr. Hunter. So it seems. About that doctor, Marshal. You didn't bring him around. Well, uh, he's out on call. I think I want to meet him more than ever now. What time is it, Chester? Uh, 2.15 a.m., Mr. Dillon. Yeah. I sure hope we don't have to spend the whole night waiting here. I don't see how Doc puts up with the smell of all this medicine. He's used to it, I guess. Yeah. I suppose a man can get used to anything except dying. You think it could have been him that fired those shots, Mr. Dillon? Chester, hmm? there's somebody coming. Come on in, Bunko. The doc's not here, but he'll probably be... Oh, what happened to your arm? I... I got thrown into a barbed wire fence. Here, let's have a look at it, huh? No, 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 no. It's, it's all right. It's a gunshot wound. All right, hold it, both of you. Well, is that the same gun you tried to kill Hunter with, Bunko? Stay where you are, Marshal. Yeah. Around 30 years old, dark hair, mustache... Medium build, excellent horseman, confirmed gambler. Wanted from uh, John Allison. Uh, alias Bunko Benson. Am I right, Bunko? He's not taking me back there. You stay where you are, Dylan. Now, don't be a fool, Bunko. Put away the gun. Stay back. I'm... I'm warning you. Bunko, look! All right, Chester, let's get him over to the jail. Just hold Easy. still now, Bunker. Just, just one more second. I'll have hold that bullet now, and then... We'll just... Ah! Oh, there. <laughs> uh, now, add that one to your collection, Matt. Well, I'll make Hunter a present of it. It wasn't bad shooting to be firing in the dark at a gun flash. He'll never get me back to Virginia. Oh, now, hold still, Bunko. Oh, I'd expect right, a man but... to tie a bandage with your arm waving around like a mare's tail in fly time. See, how'd you know he'd come to my office, Matt? I didn't, Doc. We were waiting for you. Oh, I see. There we are. No, 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 no. That ought to stop the bleeding. And don't loosen it up, Eddie. <laughs> and you'll live to hang yet. 
Don't worry about my hanging, Doc. I'll outlive you. Well, in view of the circumstances, uh, I'd say the odds are about even. Well, Matt, shall we adjourn to the front office? Yeah, come on, Doc. Uh, lock the cell, will you, Chester? Yes, sir. Well, I turned in at 10 o'clock tonight. Got one hour of sleep. They called me over to Mrs. Behan's. She thought her baby was on the way. False alarm, of course. Usually is the first time. And I got back and I came straight over here. Uh, Doc, you were wearing a gun earlier today. What'd you do with it? Oh, I put it back in the drawer where it belonged. I realized I was acting like a fool. Uh, was that where you were waiting in my office? Somebody had tried to kill Hunter and, and you thought... Look, I, Doc, I, I've i tried to think of some way out of this. A, a way out for both of us. I got one man under arrest back there now, and I, I can't rightly set myself up as a judge and free the other man. I'd even hoped you'd cut and run for it. You, you'd get away if you did, you know. Hunter doesn't know the country. I've been running for 17 years, Matt, and, and it's still caught up with me. I'm too old to run any farther. What are you going to do? I'm a lawman, Doc, right or wrong. Well, then I guess I'm under arrest, huh? No, I, I, I didn't say that. I, I just said that... Doc Evans here, there's a... Oh, well, there you are, Doc. Yes, yes, what's the trouble? The what's... fellow over in the railroad yards asleep on the track who's drunk, I guess. They were switching cars. You better come, Doc. He's awful bad. Oh, I... I got two lanterns, Mr. Dillon. That ought to be enough. Good, Chester. You ready, Doc? You're ready as I'll ever be. All right, let's go, then. Uh, he said near the loading pens down this way, I guess. Yes, sir. It looks like some lights over there. People around. Yeah. Marshal, is that you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, Hunter. Uh, I thought you went to bed hours ago. I'm a light sleeper, Mr. Dillon. I heard there's an accident over in the yards. Thought it might give me a chance to meet your local doctor. Well, I uh, guess you can meet him right now if you want to. Doc, this is Ed Hunter, Doc Adams. How do you do, sir? Mr. Hunter? I, uh, I got one of your prisoners locked up, Mr. Hunter, John Allison. Known here as Bunko Benson. Good. I just found out he's the man who tried to kill you tonight. He caught one oh. of your bullets in his arm. Well, I see. Why, then it's one down and one to go. Just Calvin Moore. Dr. Calvin Moore. Huh? This is no time to stand around making chin music. I'm sorry, well, that's Hunter. That's quite but... all right, Marshal. I'll go with you. <laughs> Uh, will you pardon us, please? Uh, all right, will you move back and let us through here, please? Here, here, Doc, this way. Yeah, I'm right with you, Matt. Uh, please stand back now, will you? Give Doc a chance to work. Yes, uh, please, if you please, just stand back. Uh, oh, oh, bad is right. Uh, well, we'll do what we can. Come on. That man who's hurt, Marshal, who is he? Oh, just a drifter. Been around Dodge a couple of years. Calls himself Texas Joe. No friends or family. Nobody knows where he came from. It's the usual story. Oh, easy now, Tex. We'll have you fixed up here in just a couple of shakes. Is 
Is that you, Doc? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I told him, get you, be all right if you got here. Why, sure, it'll be all right. You just lie still now. And... Yeah. <laughs> Certainly has to work under primitive conditions. Doc? Mm. Yeah. Uh, Chester, will you get those lanterns going and give Doc some more light? Yes, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, he's the only real doctor this side of Abilene. Mr. Dillon, is there anything I can do to help? I guess not, Miss Kelly. Thanks, anyway. Poor old Tex. Why, he stopped in the restaurant not more than four hours ago. I fixed him a meal. Thank you. Uh, you never know. Well, Doc can pull him through if anybody can. Sure he can. Uh, put one of those lanterns on the other side there, Chester. Yes, Doc. You seem to have a lot of faith in this Dr. Adams. They've got reason to, Mr. Hunter. Uh, Matt, uh, could you give me a hand here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure, Doc. Uh, lift his head up just a little bit there, Matt. Yeah, That's all right. Uh, not much of a chance. All I can do is make him comfortable. Marshal Dillon. Now, don't try to talk, Taxi. You're going to be all right. You, you've been decent to me, Marshal. Just a bum, but you treated me square. You and Doc, only friends I got. Sure, Tex. I... I got one more favor to ask. Could someone... Could someone read me some scripture? Well, Tex, I... I just don't recall any of that. I know some. Uh, Mrs. Kelly, I, I doubt if you I, can... I can hear... Please. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Uh, Mrs. Kelly. He restoreth my soul. Uh, Mrs. Kelly. He... Uh, I think that's enough. Poor soul. Well, you can't win them all, I guess. No, you can't win them all, Doctor. Well, I'm... Doctor, as the only physician here, I suppose you also function as coroner. That's right. Yes. This man will be buried under the name of Texas Joe. Hey, don't you worry about that. Excuse me. Boot Hill is full of men buried under nicknames. In this country, we... Doc! Doc, I just came from... Oh... What, Kitty? Well, uh, Doc, I, I've been sitting up with Mrs. B, and you left too soon. She needs you over there right away. Well, then it wasn't a false alarm. No. All right, Kitty, I'll be there just as quick as I can, but, well, well as soon as I... Uh, Kitty, you go on back over and do what you can for her, huh? Doc will be along. Well, all right, Matt, but you'd better hurry. Well, Mr. Hunter, I, uh... Uh, gentlemen, this seems to have been my lucky night. Both my fugitives located within an hour of each other. I guess there's nothing I one can do One of them safely to... in jail and one of them dead. What? Uh, didn't you notice the resemblance, Marshal? That Texas Joe there, he's obviously the man in the photograph. I saw it immediately. Well, Mr. I Hunter, I... hope you'll I... take all the necessary steps to see that he's buried under his real name, Calvin Moore. His death, of course, closes the case, and I'll be leaving for Virginia with my other prisoner tomorrow. Well, Mr. Hunter, I... I just don't know what to say. 
Now, I'd say it's no time to stand around making chin music, Dr. Adams. You have a patient waiting, and this town seems to depend on you. Well, of course, but... Hey, you got I... work to do, Doc. And, uh, Doc, make sure it's a boy, huh? Well, I'll, uh... <laughs> um, I'll do my darndest, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, good night, gentlemen. Good night, Doc. Good night, Doc. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Les Crutchfield, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin, Lou Krugman, Paul Dubov, and Vivi Janice. Parley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Tomorrow evening, listen for Lionel Barrymore, your host on CBS Radio's Sunday Night Playhouse. There will be another specially selected historical drama or a classic from literature with a cast of stars perfectly suited for the roles in the story. Every Sunday evening, hear Lionel Barrymore on your Sunday Night Playhouse over most of these same CBS radio stations. Truly an outstanding dramatic experience here at the Star's Address. Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, for thrilling dramas of escape, Listen every Sunday night to the CBS Radio Network. January 31st, 1953, that was Cavalcade on Gunsmoke. Wasn't that good? I love the ending in that one. I don't know if John Meston had come on as a writer and was writing very many scripts at this point. That one was by Les Crutchfield. Outstanding script. It's interesting, they were still developing Doc in 53. Actually, by this time, the character was pretty much fleshed out. But in the early days of Gunsmoke, the concept was that Doc was going to be sort of an old reprobate, a drunk. And you can hear that in some of the, in some of the early episodes. In fact, one of the reasons they named him Charles Adams was based on the Adams family. Because, you know, the, the creator of the Adams family was Charles Adams, and he was sort of ghoulish. And that's the way Doc was going to be, always standing around waiting for somebody to get shot, waiting for somebody to die so that he could collect a fee. But that didn't last very long, and I think that with Howard McNear's portrayal especially, Doc became one of the most endearing and beloved characters on the show. We'll have another episode of Gunsmoke next time.
Well, Chester is waving at me frantically, telling me we're all out of time. So I'm going to take this moment to pick up all of our shows and carry them back into the vault. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me. <laughs>